What a great reminder of this time of the year. This is Palm Sunday, but next week we will be celebrating the risen Savior, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are visiting with us, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you would take the time to be with us today. We pray that God will bless you. For those of us that are here all the time, thank you so much. We love you so much and appreciate the fact that you're here. This uh, day, we're going to have communion. Uh, you're, you're so welcome to share with us in communion for everybody that is here, of course. Um, what we are going to do, let me remind you and I'll remind you again. As you prepare your hearts for this during this service that we will have communion. We have uh, here on the tables uh, bread and, and uh, a bowl of wine. Actually, grape juice, I guess. And... Uh, um, we will be talking about the very essence of the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we have through, through, um, through his death and resurrection for our sins. It is a very, very wonderful, wonderful reminder. Also, we asked you last week, and we'll try to remind you again during this service, that we have commitment cards. If you want to turn them in, we have here Larry uh, made this absolutely beautiful. When you come up, take a look. He made a, a cross here and a basket down here. There's, um, there's all kinds of commitment cards in here. Um, the two are, are not connected today. It's not connected that you come to communion and you drop off the, uh, the commitment card. Um, they're separate. Um, so, but if you take a look at the cross on the other side, the same. Larry made another cross, very, very similar. What I love about the cross that he made is it's very rugged. I think it's more um, more like the cross that um, they made that they they hung a savior on the tree. It's more like that, more rugged. So I think you'll. It's really a wonderful representation, Larry. Thanks for doing that. It's absolutely beautiful. As I say to you, the two the two events that we're going to do at the end of the service are not related. Communion. If you were going to come up and just have communion and you don't have a commitment card, that's fine. Come and have communion. If you have a commitment card and you don't want, for whatever reason, to take communion today, that's fine. Bring the, communion, uh, bring the commitment card. The two of them are not related so that you will know that you're free to come. We're going to have communion in a very special way insofar as it's going to be very free for you. Uh, in other words, free in a sense of uh, just come. Uh, I'm going to close the service. I'm going to give the, the kind of the benediction as we would over communion, the, remembering the body and the blood of our Savior, and, and kind of examining ourselves so that we can take communion purely before Him. And then what we're going to do is you'll come and take the bread, dip it into the, the juice, and then eat it there. And, uh, and then you can either go back to your seats or you'll be dismissed. I will tell you about that at the end. I just wanted you to think about that. Would you please, with me, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And I cannot tell you... What a wonderful feeling that is. I loved every second, every minute, every moment we spent in Acts chapter 2. I thought it was critical for us to understand what kind of a church we are. I agree wholeheartedly with the staff that we needed to do what we did. But I am also, I'm like a plow horse. My favorite thing is to get into the Bible and to just purely teach line upon line. I think what we did in Acts chapter 2 was that type of teaching. But this is my favorite. 
where we go from Acts chapter 20 and, and we see the end of the chapter and move right into Acts chapter 21 and just study it line upon line, word after word, to catch the drift of what Paul is trying to teach. Where we left off is where I'd like to begin again, just to refresh our memories before we go into the 21st chapter. Although, next week is, is Easter Sunday. And I looked at, at the 21st cha- chapter, and there really is very little that I really could preach on concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I know that some of us will bring friends. Uh, some people will come to church that, that haven't been to church in quite some time. And normally they'll come on an Easter or maybe a Christmas time with the family. And so what I'd like to do next week is it looks to me like I'm going to be preaching out of uh, Luke chapter 24. And we're going to talk about that whole scenario from when Jesus Christ walked on the road to Emmaus and then when he revealed himself to those two men and they went and told their companions he is risen. And, and we're going to talk about that and we'll make it as evangelistic as we possibly can, as I believe the Lord would have us. And so uh, we will do that next week instead of just going back into chapter 21 of Acts. But it is a wonderful, wonderful feeling to get into the 20th chapter If you'll recall, Paul was leaving Ephesus. He had established a church there. Everywhere that Paul went, he made an impact upon the people. That I questioned. I wondered why. What what was there about Paul that made him so wonderfully, uniquely special that when he left, the people, it says, repeatedly hugged him, repeatedly kissed him, and just embraced him because he told them that they would see his face no more. And they just absolutely adored this man. And I'm thinking, you and I can have that experience within the family of God. We want to, I would love for us to have a church that we just absolutely adore one another. There is a, a sense of, of, of community here and unity here that there is a love that we have for one another. I must admit to, to you, very selfishly, I must admit to you, I feel that from you. I cannot tell you how much I love being with you. I mentioned last week there are three things in my life that I am committed now at the end of my, my years, and I don't know how many more years. I have hope, hope there's a lot more, but I am committed to do three things. And I told you this last week, I'm committed to love my wife. I want her to know that she was loved by her husband, and I'm, I'm committed to doing that. Secondly, I am committed to my children and to my grandchildren. I am committed that they know that Papa loves them with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. Thirdly is you. I want you to know when my days here are through that you were loved by your pastor. That, that, there, was just, that there was nothing more fonder for me than to be here with you on a weekend to share the wonders of God's grace and to talk about the Lord. And you have... So given that to me that I can't ever, I will never be able to repay you enough. Ever, never. And, 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 and so we find Paul in this, third, in this 20th chapter, in, in the 32nd verse, giving a benediction to the people in Ephesus. He had told them, listen, I love you so much. And look what he says to them. Read with me in Acts chapter 20 from verse 32 to the end of this wonderful chapter. We did this before, I know, six, seven months ago. But I, I, don't, I don't expect you to remember it all. But I, respect, I expect you to remember some of it. And this is what started us on the journey to find out what kind of a church ought we to be. What should we look like? In verse 32, Paul says, And now 
I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says in verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know, he says, that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, he said, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep out loud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And then it says they were accompanying him to the ship. This led us to see what kind of a church we ought to be. This led us into thinking, are we a church that really wants to build each other up? Are we a church that desires to understand and know the word of God and the grace of God, God's unmerited favor? Are we a church that are willing and ready, more blessed that we would give than we might receive? Are we that type of people? And so it led us to Acts chapter 2. And therein we saw what a true church looks like. And the key to it was, as we saw in the 42nd verse of Acts chapter 2, they were continually devoting themselves. And we feel that's the key. We don't feel like there's a lot of... um, a lot of do's and don'ts within the Word of God. We feel that the Bible is pretty clear on what we ought to be like. We ought to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But the Bible is clear as far as what a church ought to look like. And basically a church is, is a group of people who are continually devoting themselves to the, the teachings of the apostles so that we might have fellowship. And we learned what that meant. True fellowship is partnering with one another sharing with one another the gifts that God has so graciously given us so that we might build up the body of Christ. And we learned all of these things that was mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It all stemmed and brought ourselves to that attention when Paul said in verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Father, can we, by your grace, become like these dear people? Can we, Father God, by your grace, understand all the things that we have been given? By your grace, Father, like King David, we want to bless you. By that I mean, Father God, we want to call you our God. And we as... We ascribe to you, Father, which is yours, greatness and power, glory, victory, majesty. As King David said, everything that is in the heavens and everything that is on this earth, you are dominion over all, dear Lord. And so we prescribe, Father, we claim to you the very essence of who you are. And we ask your blessings upon us. What we ask, dear Father, is that you would purely teach us. Ask, Father, that you would move me aside in some way that 
we wouldn't really notice or pay attention to who is speaking, but rather we would pay attention to the words of yours that are, that are spoken. And so, Father, as the psalmist wrote in Psalms 119, verse 18, open up our eyes, dear God, so that we might behold wonderful things from your word. Bless us, please, Father. And thank you for every single person here, their families, their loved ones. Bless them all, Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Paul said to the people, I want to I put a blessing upon you. I, I want to commend you to God, he says in verse 32, to the word of his grace. And then Paul said in verse 35, the words of Jesus Christ, when Jesus said, it is more blessed that you give rather than you receive. You see, in a a God-honoring church, a God-honoring ministry, a God-honoring person must focus on giving more than getting. And it isn't just only money. It isn't about money. When we talk about giving, it's about giving of your gifts, giving of your time, giving whatever it is that you have to make the church a better place. You need to understand. I'll use myself as an example. I will never be the man of God to its fullest degree in all of my maturity. I will never become that man without you. We all need one another. That's what we learned when we went back to Acts chapter 2. He says, so that they might, in verse 32, Paul says, listen, I commend you to God and to, the, and to his word and his grace so that you might build up each other. And that's what we learned out of Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 church is a church that is continually devoting itself to the word of God. But we learned that the next thing, once we know the word of God or once we start to grasp what the word of God means, and that's our purpose here in our church, bottom line, that's what we want to do. We want you and me, we want us to understand what the word of God means so that we might, by God's grace, conform ourselves into the images of his son. But you and I will never get to that place until we start to understand the word of God. But the next thing that that, that Peter preached on in Acts chapter 2 was fellowship. And fellowship is critical, folks, because we learned that that word fellowship meant more than just having a cup of coffee and a donut with each other and having a few laughs. That word fellowship means to partner or to share with one another. And what what we learned in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 is that you and I are to equip one another. We need each other so we can equip each other. And it says in the next line of, of Acts, excuse me, of, uh, of Ephesians 4.12, we, we are to equip one another for the work of service. In other words, to do what God's called us to do. And who knows what that is? I mean, that could be a myriad of things. There are a bunch of things that we, that we might be called to do. A lot of it will depend upon where your heart is and what you want to do with your life and ministry. And we want to partner with you. We want to share with you in that, in that, in that venture of, 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 of doing the work of service. And ultimately, we want to do that with one another so as, as the last line in Ephesians 4.12 teaches us, so that we might do exactly what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. 
and that is so that we might build up the body of Christ. Do you want to know why you and I are alive today if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? We are alive so as to build up the body of Christ. And we do that by equipping one another for the work of service, so to build up the body of Christ. And that's what an Acts 2 church is all about. People who are continually devoted to these things. And with that comes communion so that we can forgive ourselves of our sins and walk with God as purely as possible and remember what he did for us on the cross. And with that comes prayer, understanding the power of who we are. We don't have to always go to God and say, give me, give me, give me, but rather we can go to God and say, praise you, praise you, praise you. And the part of all of that and doing what we are to do is to understand giving. And as we taught, it's not a tithe, and we're not just talking about money. We're talking about a heart. A heart that wants to give it to the Lord, not grudgingly nor under compulsion. Nobody should make you give a penny more or a penny less than what you feel in your heart you want to give to the Lord. That's what true giving is, and that's what the church ought to do. Not pressure any of us to give because the Bible says God just loves a cheerful giver. And so you can't give any more or or any less than you want to give. You ought to give what you give from your heart cheerfully unto the Lord. Because ultimately we want to be people who praise and worship our God. That was the sixth line. Sixth thing we're to do as as an Acts 2 type of church. To worship and praise the Lord. And we took upon it, uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do your work or, do, or live your life heartily with passion unto the Lord, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. That's, that's our purpose in life. And so, bottom line, this wonderful place, this, this chapter 20, led us to Acts chapter 2. Led us to understand what a God-honoring ministry and church looks like, what a God-honoring person looks like. And our focus isn't on just getting but giving. You know, it does pain anyone's heart who's in ministry work to ask someone to be a part of a Bible study, for you to get into a small group, or for you to come and join the men for a breakfast, or or, or get involved within the church and say, well, you know, I don't have the time. Um, And and, and basically, I've, I've kind of done that before, and I, I, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty well on top of it. And, and when you hear that, you hear a person saying, you know, there's not any much more I can get. I, I pretty much got everything I could get. And, and, and it's, it pains the heart because ministry isn't about what you can get. Have you ever thought that when you go to that Bible study, when you go to that small group, when you're at the, 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 the breakfast, you can be blessing somebody. There's someone there that you can reach with the gift that God has so graciously given you. And you can give rather than always wanting to get. And so when we become involved in that way, we become a, a church that is filled with compassionate people, but really people who uh, are really... Um, Committed, uh, you know what I'm trying to say, is, is just people who are continually devoting themselves to God's word. And, and, and so when, when we say these things, it's not about money. It, it's, it's about spiritual gifts. It, it is about time. It's about the talent that God has given you. It's all about what we learned in, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 14. When King David, bless his heart, told the people when they gave more than abundantly to do what needed to be done, he says, who are we 
that we can offer to God as generously as we have. Because he said this, and this is where I get the whole idea of the whole process of giving, the cycle of giving that happens from God to us back to God. Because King David said, who are we that we can offer as well as we did God? He says, from your hand, from your hand, God, we have received. And from our hand, we give back to you. And so the cycle of giving goes. He gives to us. We take whatever portion we can, we can give from a purity of our hearts and we give back to him. And so it is. And on and on it goes. And that's what an Acts chapter 22 church looks like. And so that automatically, when we got here to Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, it, it automatically took us back to find out how can we become that. What does a true church look like? What do, what do people look like when they're hitting on every cylinder and really trying to be a person that God has called us to be? Person, a church that is filled with people continually devoting themselves to God. In other words, continually devoting themselves to giving rather than receiving. And so we looked at that. And Paul, turn with me, please. Well, no, take a look again, just, just briefly, at the 20th chapter, verse 32. Paul says, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace. It's able to build you up. It's able to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul wanted, now turn to First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, please. Paul wanted his fellow Christians in Ephesus, and all of us, by the way, to long for the word of God, because he said the word of God and God's grace is what is able to build you and me up. And that's the, that's the purpose of church. The purpose of church is that we build each other up so as to build up the body of Christ. So Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he says concerning the word of God, he says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it, it meaning the word of God, so that by it you may grow or mature in respect to salvation. Now look back at chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Paul also said in verse 32 of Acts chapter 20, you will receive the inheritance which will sanctify you or set you apart. This inheritance is so special that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, what I think to be two of the most dynamic verses of the security of your faith that you'll ever find in Scripture. Look what Peter says in verse 4. He says, we obtain what? We obtain an inheritance, which he says is imperishable and undefiled, which he says will not fade away, which he says is reserved in heaven for none other than you. He goes on to say in verse 5, who are protected, how? By the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Church, I want you to know something. It does not get any better than what we just read out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. To know because of our faith in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by that faith, 
you have reserved in heaven a place for you, a salvation, if you would, that will never, ever fade away. It is imperishable. It is undefiled and it is protected for you by the power of God. It doesn't get any better than that. If we were a jump up and down church, there would be hallelujahs flying all over this place. Because that truth is beyond anything that you and I can comprehend. So to know that we can walk into the Easter season and we can go into Easter knowing that our salvation is reserved for us in heaven. It's undefiled. It is imperishable. It is protected by the power of God. Back to Acts chapter 20. So, so Paul, telling the people, look, he says, I commend you to God. Not to himself. I commend you to God, he says. And his word of grace. That is what is able to build you up. Paul knew he was leaving. He wanted those people to mature in their faith. So he left them the word of God, the grace of God, which is able to build them up and give them the inheritance that they so deserved. And so having to leave, he goes in verse 36 and he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And when the prayer was over with, they, it says in verse 37, began to weep out loud for Paul. They embraced him and they repeatedly kissed him. They grieved, it says in verse 38, because of the word that he spoke to them, saying that they would not see him anymore. And with that, in verse 38, the last sentence in that wonderful verse, they, they, they took him to the ship. They, they accompanied him to the ship as he was going to take off and go back to Jerusalem. With that in mind, I ask you a question as we prepare our hearts for communion. And as we think about, will we make this commitment unto the Lord? What do you think made Paul so special with these people? Have you thought about it? Could it be that he was a person that continually devoted himself to the important things of life? That is, to the things that God desires from each and every single one of us and to give to others? Could it be that he continually devoted himself to feed to watch over the people of the church that was built there in Ephesus? Could it also be that he devoted himself to the ministry of the Word of God, that he was totally free from any self-interests? Look at what Paul did. Take a look at who he was, which gave him such respect and love, not only from the people in Ephesus, but as we learn from God Almighty. And let's see if you and I measure up. Verse 33 of Acts chapter 20. Paul was content with what he had. He says clearly he didn't covet their silver, their gold, or even their clothes. In verse 34, we learn that he was a diligent person. In other words, he worked hard. He worked hard with his own hands, not only for himself, but for the others who were with him. And in verse 35, we learn that Paul was selfless. Paul taught us that truly, it is far better that we give 
rather than receive. How can you and I know for certain that we're an Acts 2 believer? How can we, how can we know if this will become a church that in and of itself is filled with people uniquely desiring to devote themselves to the things of God. Let's look at Paul. He didn't use his position as an apostle to profit financially. He didn't use his position as an apostle to boost his ego or to build a name for himself. His motives were pure. He simply desired to use the gift, in his case, gifts, plural, that God gave him to build up the body of Christ. He used his gifts that God gave him to glorify his Lord and Savior. He was satisfied, we learn, with whatever he had and wherever he was. Have you ever asked yourself, why do you serve here at church? Why do you give here at church? Why do you teach or whatever it is you do? No, no, wait. Let me stop. Let me ask this part of the question. It's, it maybe is more applicable. Do you, do you do any of these things for the Lord? Do you serve the Lord, give to the Lord, use your talents for the Lord, your gifts for the Lord to build up the body of Christ here at this church? To the best of your ability, do you know what your real motives are for coming to church? To the best of your ability, do you know what it really means to become a true believer in Jesus Christ? Like Paul, we ought to be content, happy, at peace with what we have and what we do in our church for the Lord and for others. Diligent, in other words, doing the best that we have, giving him what we learned about when we give our first fruits, in other words, the best of our best. So as to help yourself, to help your family, to help the church, to help the Lord. Selfless, are you a giver or a taker? How is your relationship with your family, your friends, your children, your parents, your church? As we think about this commitment that we're about to make, as we think about communion that we're about to take, prepare your hearts. As I say to you, these two events are not related. If you want to have communion and you're not ready to sign that commitment card, these things are not related. You come for communion and you don't want to sign the commitment card yet, that's okay. Come for communion. If you just want to sign the commitment card and you're not ready to have communion, that's okay. But take a moment. We are going to allow Craig to play just some beautiful, just some backup ground music. And um, what I want you to do is to sit there and to think. Let me take you through this commitment to see if we're an Acts 2 believer. It's in your bulletin, by the way. And you can pull it out and sign it or if it's in your Bible and you've signed it or whatever. But are you living under the teaching of God's word? Well, here at this church, we are, to the best of our ability, an Acts 2 church. We are trying to teach the word of God. But on you personally, are you reading the word daily? Are you 
Are readings for your own growth and understanding? Are you fellowshipping within this church? In other words, not the word fellowship as we used to understand it, but fellowshipping by sharing, uh, participating with your gifts, the gifts that God has given you to benefit others, not only for your growth, but for their growth, so as to hopefully build up the body of Christ. Are we doing communion so that we can understand the true idea of the confessions of our sins and practicing forgiveness, forgiving ourselves and forgiving anyone else who may have wronged us, praying for God's will to be done in your life and within this church, giving from your heart, not under compulsion, not feeling that you have to give, but prayed through and say, Lord, this is what I feel I can give to you from my heart and give to further the kingdom of God and praising and worshiping Him daily in all that you do and all that you say and all that you are. I'm going to grab one of these pieces of bread. As you sit here and you contemplate, remember, remember Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. He says, whenever you take of this bread, take of it in remembrance of me. That he went to the cross. That he allowed himself to die for your sin, my sin. Has given us eternal life, an inheritance. He has given us, uh, reserved for us a place in heaven that's undefiled. It's protected by his power for you. And then when you dip your bread into the juice, contemplate the wine, the blood of Jesus Christ. Contemplate the fact that he says, with this blood, I have given you a new covenant. And that new covenant is the forgiveness of your sin. Never again do you and I have to carry within our own hearts this load or this burden of sin. We can ask the Lord to forgive us and he forgives us every time. When we dip the bread into the wine, may we remind ourselves of the greatest privilege that we have as a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is that He has forgiven us our sin. And so while Craig plays this music, what I'm going to ask you to do is to thoughtfully go over your heart, examine yourself. At your leisure, come on up. We still have goodness Ten minutes, there's plenty of time for communion. Just uh, come up on your own. Take communion with your family if you'd like. And then um, drop off the commitment cards if you like. And then you can either go back to your seats, pray a little bit, listen to the music, or you can uh, just dismiss yourselves. We can just go home. Let me pray. Father... uh, What a great privilege you've given us through a simple piece of bread, the remembrance of your body, through the juice that we have here in this this, uh, bowl, Father, that it would represent your blood, but more, it represents the forgiveness of our sin. And so allow us, Father, in this brief time of quiet to reflect upon our own selves, examine ourselves, see if there be any sin in us and 
And may we come up and experience this very, very precious moment of, of communion with you as we walk into this time of the year, this Easter season, we might know for certain that we are walking blamelessly with you in your righteousness. So, Father, I thank you for everybody here. I love them so much. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church. Bless us, I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.